Hey everyone, it's Gila Glassberg. Thanks for joining me again on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today I had the privilege of interviewing Dina Cohen. Dina is a dietitian and she specializes in treating eating disorders. And I really wanted to have Dina on the podcast. I've actually used Dina as a supervisor in cases where I felt I needed some extra help. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this topic and she is really helping the from the Jewish Orthodox community when it comes to eating disorders. She is so humble and she's such a pleasure to speak with. And I thought it would be really interesting to speak to a dietitian to understand the nutritional side effects of somebody struggling with an eating disorder. And we know that someone struggling with an eating disorder is so multifaceted and we really need a team to treat the disorder. And I thought it would be really interesting to understand that nutritional component and the signs to look out for and the things to understand behind the disorder. Um, I've gotten some feedback that some of my podcast episodes are a little bit too long. And I'll just say that I personally like a long podcast, like an hour long, because I like to bike ride while I listen to podcasts or when I'm on a long drive, I like to have a long podcast to listen to. But this particular podcast was shorter and I thought that it was very concise and to the point. So just so you know, it's not as long as my other podcasts. As always, it means so much for me that you listen to this podcast, and I would really love it if you could subscribe to the podcast as well as the YouTube YouTube channel. You can follow me on Instagram at dietitian.gilaglassberg and go to my website, www.gilaglassberg.com, where you can find other podcasts like this, YouTube videos, blog, po- blog posts, and lots of other resources in terms of intuitive eating and healing your relationship with food. And if you're interested in working with me one-on-one or in a group, you could use my website to sign up for a 20-minute clarity call. I really look forward to getting to know you and meeting you and speaking with you. And without further ado, here's our guest. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me again on this podcast, Get Into It with Gila. My name is Gila Glassberg. I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have Dina Cohen. Uh, Dina Cohen is a nutrition therapist who specializes in the treatment of eating disorders, chronic dieting, women's health, and pediatric nutrition. She is the founder of Eat Well Soon, a nutrition counseling practice in Lakewood, New Jersey, dedicated to helping individuals and family develop lifelong healthy habits and a positive relationship with food. So awesome. Hi, Dina. Hi, it's so fun to be on your podcast. It's so fun to have you. We're so excited to have you. Um, Okay, so Tell us a little bit about how you got into the field of nutrition. 
Sure. So I always knew I wanted to do something medical when I was 10. I actually wanted to be a vet, but it kind of evolved since then into um, moving away from the doctor thing because I wanted something with a less complicated work-life balance. And dietetics has the science and medical aspect, but it also has plenty of psychology in there, which is a really nice bonus because after working in the field or even you know during the internship, you realize that it's not just about educating people. It's about helping them change their behaviors. And I got curious about why people ate the way they did and what made it hard for them to change. And early on, one of my volunteer jobs while I was building my resume was in Toronto General Hospital's eating disorder program. And one of the groups that I sat in on was actually all about emotions. And I thought that was amazing because, yeah, you know, we know emotions impact our eating. Now it's as clear as day, but as a dietetic student, it wasn't something that was often talked about. So I thought that making those kind of connections was very cool and eating disorders felt like a good fit. And my first job was as an associate for a dietitian who specialized in eating disorders. And she was just a really good role model for me. She demonstrated how you can use your clinical knowledge, but also be a very empathetic person and be really helpful to people. Awesome. Yeah, actually, I remember we had a conversation about this like a few years ago when I was like, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know what to do. And you're like, like being a listening ear is like, you know, just a really big beginning part. Like so many people just need that. They need someone to listen and empathize. And obviously there's more to it, but it's so important. People really need that. Yeah, the first thing you need to do is be a human. Right, definitely. Um, okay, so could you tell us a little bit about like, what we should be looking for nutritionally like let's say um for if moms are listening to this or even teenagers like what's going on nutritionally when somebody starts to develop a severe eating disorder well eating disorders are you know i I don't want to say this in a positive way because it's not positive but they're they're fascinating in the sense that they can affect every single organ system in the body because food is really the building blocks of the building block for life. And when somebody's not getting enough nutrition, it is going to affect every organ system from hair and skin and nails to the brain and the heart and bones. Every single part of the body is going to be affected. And many medical complications are reversible with treatment, but not all of them. And that's why it's really important to catch them early on. So especially if I'm seeing a teen or a child, there's, there's really no time to waste. One of the symptoms I commonly see, because it's a reason why people get referred to me, even if you know um, the doctor doesn't know straight out that it's an eating disorder or the mom doesn't know straight out, but it's cause for concern is hypothalamic amenorrhea, which means missing periods. And this is usually due to dieting, over-exercising, weight loss, and stress, or some combination of those. And usually the stress is the stress of not getting enough to eat and being obsessed with weight and calories. So people sometimes think a missing period is only a problem when someone's trying to get pregnant, but that's a huge misconception. Missing periods or irregular periods are due to not eat, which are due to not eating enough, are a sign that certain hormone levels are too low. And that can affect the health of the bones and the brain and even the heart. And teens who go too long without having a period can develop osteopenia, which is like a precursor to osteoporosis or eventual osteoporosis because those low hormone levels are preventing them from depositing bone at a time in their life when their bones are really supposed to be growing. 
And women who have low estrogen, which is a side effect of dieting or an eating disorder, can be at a higher risk for heart disease or actually developing dementia later in life. So it's really no joke. We really have to fix those missing periods right away, and we fix them with nutrition and rest. And some other common symptoms I, I see in my office are GI problems like constipation, feeling tired, feeling cold, being dizzy, having trouble sleeping, hair loss, and mood changes, like feeling more depressed or anxious. So it's, it's really pretty miserable having an eating disorder. Oh, yes, it is. Um, so I wanted to know if you could explain a little bit about the blend between nature versus nurture. So like just from, just from my standpoint, um, obviously, like we know from intuitive eating and the research that intuitive eating shows us that diet culture is like so pervasive and loud. So most people, I would say, I think most people struggle within even their household or their community that, right, that there's a lot of diet culture impacting where we're going with developing an eating disorder, but there is also a nature component. Yeah, so there are definitely certain personality types where, you know, somebody would be more prone towards developing an eating disorder, but I don't, and there's a genetic component as well. Sometimes, you know, if, if there's a family member who has an eating disorder, or other family members can be more predisposed, but I, I don't want anybody to feel like that's something that's set in stone, that's for sure going to happen. And I think all parents really benefit from taking necessary precautions, no matter what kind of personality your child has. I think a lot of parents already know some of the basics. Don't put your kid on a diet, preferably don't diet yourself. If you are dieting, don't talk about it in front of your kid. But I'd like to talk about a couple of other things that might seem less directly related, but can be very preventative. And the first one, you know, because we can't control what goes on in the world, we can't control how pervasive and persistent diet culture is, um, but we can control how you relate to your child. And so the first thing that I would really stress is to make sure that your child knows that she is valued for her inside, because we live in a world that tells us that fat is bad and thin is good. So what that can result in is if a kid feels not good enough, then she's at risk for trying to make her body seem better in order to feel better. So the first thing a parent can do is show your child that you love her for the person that she is and that her inside is the most important thing about her and not her appearance. And a kid who knows that very strongly is going to be less susceptible to changing her body or trying to change her body when she isn't feeling good about herself. We really, as parents, we're really our child's first mirror and how we see them is how they're gonna view themselves. So when we demonstrate unconditional positive regard for our children, meaning we respect them for the individuals that they are and they know really strongly that our love is not conditional on how they look or what they do, then we can decrease the risk for disordered eating. And the second pointer that I would give is to make sure that your child has a language for her emotions because an eating disorder is trying to say something. The kid has emotions that she can't express. She might not even know that she's having these emotions or if she knows that she has them, she might not know how to express them. So if a kid is, you know, it, if the kid is feeling anxious or afraid or inadequate or insecure or feeling stressed out, trying to make sure everyone's happy with her, if a kid is feeling unsafe and she can't express that, 
then she might turn to food as a way of expressing those emotions. So helping her child develop a language for her internal world so she can express what she's experiencing can help her not need to turn to manipulating her body to manage and express those emotions. That's so interesting. So like what we, what we say about like, let's say toddlers, like when they're having a temper tantrum or when they're freaking out, they're trying to communicate something because they don't have the language. So it's the same thing for, let's say, a teen or even even someone in their 20s, right? Even someone in their 50s, if they haven't been given the language to express themselves, their behaviors are sometimes expressing it. Yeah, and an example I often give my clients is, you know, if you had a child come running into the house crying, we wouldn't just want to throw that kid a cookie. We would want to say, what happened? Did you fall off your bike? Or are other kids making fun of you? Did you lose your pet frog? Like we first want to hear from the child what's going on. And then we can choose, you know, to give him a cookie or not give him a cookie. But the point is he should be able to understand and express what happened and then learn to cope in a healthy way. And with adults too, we want to know what's going on inside, what we're feeling, and then choose the coping mechanism. Right. That's so like incredible for people to hear. And I see it with my clients also, like if they were never given the language or they were never given the space to feel an emotion and they were either taught, like we use food to cope with our emotions, or even if they were never taught that, but they, let's say they were on a diet and that was the only thing that suited them, the food. So they're doing that now as an adult and they, they didn't even know that that's why they were doing it. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but as a dietitian, you're treating the eating disorder like nutritionally. So how do we separate the eating disorder nutritionally, medically, psychologically? Yeah, that's, it's, it's a really good question. Um, you know, because everybody eats and everybody has feelings, the food, the, the feelings are definitely going to come up in the room. But my job is to separate out the food and the feelings so that the client can identify what feelings are involved and then deal with them either on their own or with a therapist so that we can get back to working on the food. So I see my role really as somebody who can help untangle the food and feelings and then deal with the food part. I can also identify potential medical issues, but I'm not the doctor. So my job is not to diagnose or treat them. My job is to refer to a medical provider when necessary. So sometimes, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is really because the, the dietitian might be the first treatment team member that somebody comes to see, my job can be to assess what's going on and then help determine what other treatment members need to be on the team, such as a therapist and doctor. So do you, do you ever feel like it's okay or it's, it's sufficient to treat an eating disorder with one member of a team or it's usually collaborative? Well, let me put it this way, you know, someone might heal from an eating disorder by reading books or by meditating or by having more plants in the house, or maybe someone came to them in a dream and told them to recover. Like people can recover in all sorts of ways, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend them. So similarly, I wouldn't suggest working with just one treatment team member with a condition as complex and multifaceted as an eating disorder. What's recommended is a team approach. So you know, can someone recover just by seeing a therapist or a dietitian or even a really good doctor? I I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's not what responsible clinicians would recommend. I totally understand that and like couldn't agree more. And it's funny that you say like some people could, you know, heal from reading or having plants in the house, but it's like funny because it's true. 
in a way, but it's also like, that's just not the recommended. Like we want to, we want to make sure that the client is in the most optimal place for healing, especially something yeah. like here. Yeah, we want to make sure that we're doing our job right. And I think another important thing to bring up is that every eating disorder is different. People develop an eating disorder for so many different reasons. And that has to be taken into consideration with treatment. You know, why did somebody get this eating disorder? What are the contributing factors? That's something that's going to be important in determining where we go from here. Definitely. So could you explain um, if we're deprived of certain nutrients, how that could affect us mentally? And I don't know if you see this in your office, but sometimes like I know, let's say B12, vitamin B12, that could affect us mentally. Do you you encounter that in your office? So the brain is definitely very significantly impacted by malnutrition. And I, I think what's you know, sometimes people think, well, of course the brain is impacted because it's a mental disorder and there are obsessive thoughts about food and body circling round and round. And that's absolutely true. You know, when you think about something again and again, that becomes the background movie playing in someone's brain. But with malnutrition, there are also actual changes to the structure of the brain, which affect cognitive functioning. So when someone does not get enough calories or nutrients, and especially if they're also over-exercising, the person's going to lose actual brain matter. And what happens then is that eating disorder sufferers can experience a whole range of cognitive issues. The brain can't process information as well because of interference from all those diet-related thoughts. And what that means is that while someone is significantly malnourished, therapy is not gonna work really well. If someone has a co-occurring condition such as depression that they need medication for, the medication might not work as well either. And another unpleasant side effect is that um, having those frequent obsessive eating disorder thoughts can prevent memory from operating effectively, which means that people with an eating disorder can have problems remembering things. And what we know from the research is that the lower um, somebody's BMI is when they have anorexia, the worse their memory function is. And weight restoration can help a lot. But completely repairing the structure of the brain, you know, might not be something that can completely happen. And that's why it's so important to prevent eating disorders and get people help right away. Wow. What about people who struggle with, let's say, disordered eating or obsessive dieting? Could that, could that same um, structural problem happen in the brain? So I don't know if that structural problem would happen um, if they, you know, if they don't have diagnosed anorexia, if it's a mild reform of an eating disorder, I don't know that that would happen, but I know that the obsessive thoughts interfering with their thinking, oh, absolutely. Wow. Um, Okay, so what are the most common physical symptoms of malnutrition that you personally see with your clients? So like I said before, you know, it would be GI complaints, missing periods, feeling tired, feeling cold, feeling dizzy. Um, You know, I I see a pretty wide range of eating issues and sometimes people are quite forthcoming about their symptoms and they really don't like feeling them and they want help with them. And other times people really want to defend the eating disorder and they're very intent on, you know, maintaining the image that everything's fine, everything's fine. But once they start to eat better, they'll sometimes say, you know, I feel so much better now. It's kind of like sometimes when you're thirsty, you don't realize that you're thirsty and then you take a drink of water and you're like, oh wow, I really needed that. Right. I remember like a client telling me that she, I actually recommended her to read the book Sick Enough 
which mm -hmm. is like a really great resource. And she's like, I can't believe it. Like, I'm totally, I'm totally paranoid. Like I realized like she was like, you know, I'm pretty knee deep in the eating disorder. And she was like, I'm starting to feel paranoid, you know? And like, she didn't realize that that could be a symptom of the eating disorder, which was really interesting for her. Yeah, I know the thinking is not the same. It really isn't. One thing I just want to mention because we haven't talked about it much is um, binge eating disorder. And the symptoms there can be pretty different, but there definitely would be GI distress, you know, when somebody is binging, um, when someone's, um, you know, maybe going for long periods of time without food and then eating a lot at one time, that can be pretty physically uncomfortable. But there's also a lot of shame and depression that can come along with that. And that's very important to address because, you know, unfortunately, binge eating disorder is a real eating disorder. It's a real thing. It doesn't get as much attention in the press as anorexia or bulimia might, but there's a lot of suffering that comes along with that. Definitely, 100%. And um, I think it, I do think it's important to know about that eating disorder. Do you, do you see that there are other like nutritional um, side effects when it comes to binge eating disorder? Well, with, you know, with any eating disorder, I think it's important to mention that you can't, you can't necessarily see from the outside whether someone has one or what kind of eating disorder they have. But with binge eating disorder, somebody might be eating in a pretty imbalanced way. So even though calorically they're getting what they need or even more than what they need, their, their diet might not be balanced and they might be missing some essential nutrients. Right. Um, okay, so what, what do you want the listeners to know most about nutrition and eating disorders or disorder eating? Specifically about nutrition or about eating disorders in general? Nutrition having to do with eating disorders. Okay, so <laughs> I, I think eating disorders are very misunderstood, um, particularly anorexia, because people who don't understand them pretty well, they, they just can't understand why somebody can't just eat your problem and all your health problems are coming because you aren't eating enough. So just eat something. You know, we know this is a mental, uh, a mental illness. This is, you know, it's, it's pretty unique because the cure actually is food. But as we know, the challenge is helping the person be okay enough in order to eat what they need to eat. So Nutrition is the cure. And when nutrition, when adequate nutrition is not there, none of the other pieces are going to matter. So like we said earlier about brain function, therapy is not going to be very effective if the person also isn't eating enough. So that's why we do need a multifaceted approach. We need the different team members there to help the person overcome whatever obstacles they're facing towards eating enough. We need the dietitian there to help the person um, and be able to implement the nutrition recommendations and meet their nutritional goals. But I do want people to know that eating disorders are resolvable conditions. This is something that does have a solution and it can leave people stronger in the end. And nobody chooses to have an eating disorder, but you can choose to do the things to help you get out of one. And recovering from an eating disorder or even giving up dieting might be one of the hardest things you'll ever do, but you will come out a stronger person with a more meaningful life. Wow, that's amazing to hear. Um, do you think that we're getting better at like treating and understanding the whole um, eating disorder mindset? Because I know that I I've heard, I don't know if you've had this and maybe you could share, like clients have told me that clinicians have told them like just eat, like people who weren't necessarily trained in eating disorders 
um, like let's say doctors or whatever, like, yeah, just eat, just eat. This is good for you, you know? And like, but I, I feel like because intuitive eating health at every size, like is on the rise, like maybe we're heading in the right direction when it comes to treating eating disorders. I hope so. I definitely think we know more now than, than we did then, even 10 years ago. I think there still is a lot to learn. What I would like to believe is that clinicians who are not trained eating disorder specialists, is, I, I would like to think that they are now beginning to realize that they might have more to learn which is a very good step. And you know, as an eating disorder dietitian, there's a lot of things that I don't do. One of the things that I do do is refer people out when I don't feel qualified to treat them. And I think that as clinicians, if that's something that we're all doing, if we have a strong team and network of people who do the things that we don't do, and we can refer out so everybody can get the best care possible, and that's a really good step that we can take. Do you think that doctors need to be specifically trained in eating disorders to treat the eating disorder? I think, first of all, they need to be trained in order to diagnose an eating disorder. Not every doctor is going to want to train the eat, to treat an eating disorder, has the resources to do so, but we don't need every doctor to treat eating disorders. We need them to be able to recognize and diagnose and then refer to someone who does. I mean, it would be nice if we had more doctors who treated eating disorders. I would love that. But again, you know, not, not everybody can do everything. Not everybody can or should be a specialist in everything, and that's okay. Right. I just know from like hearing from clients that they've gone to like their general general practitioner or their PCP. And I, I said, did you, you know, talk about your eating disorder past? No, I didn't bring it up. And they didn't, they weren't, I don't know. They didn't scream for it. They didn't realize. I feel yeah. like I hear that a lot. It's very unfortunate. And that's one of the things that um, I have started to do is provide training for pediatricians so that they can screen for eating disorders more effectively. Wow, that's amazing. Are, are people like you doing that, like for other type of doctors also? Like, do you think that that's becoming more mainstream? I, I think, you know, I say this with some hesitation because I don't, I don't know for sure. I think it really depends on the doctor. Um, but because the, you know, the, the childhood and teenage period is a time when a lot of eating disorders start to surface, I think the pediatricians are perhaps a little more motivated to get more educated in that area. Right. Um, okay. So thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners off with? Yeah. Gila's fantastic. <laughs> Gila, you really inspire me. I really, I, I love what you do. I love how you make it, um, you know, not just about the food because we know it's never just about the food, how in your work and, you know, in what you do on social media, you really try to broaden what you do so you can be as helpful as possible and people like you are really an inspiration thank you for having me on thank you and seriously like I learned so much from you and I also think that there needs to be more people like you in the field I think that we all need like a little bit more like you know training or we need like we just need like that drive to help people which is what you taught me when we originally met and I, I do think that it's important for people to see like everything that I post about and everything that we're all like bringing to the table in the intuitive eating space because so many people don't feel heard. And I think that that's kind of like what dieting does. It just says like, just do this. Even, even, when, we, even when we tell an eating disorder um, client, just eat the food, we're totally negating the whole person. And that's just not good care, you know? Yeah. And that's like what I said, you know, when somebody recovers from disordered eating or gives up dieting, they are going to become a stronger person with a stronger inner voice. 
and people like us who do this work we you know we're still the rare ones i think so we gotta stick together and help each other out and hopefully in doing so help more people i mean definitely and i posted yesterday on instagram i said like i used to think that working on your relationship with food is working on your relationship with food. And then I said, now I know working on your relationship with food is working on your relationship with yourself also. And I remember Elisheva Wiener saying in our interview that the, the relationship we have with our food is sort of like a microcosm for all of our relationships, which sounds like a bit like extreme, but it really isn't because- if No, it isn't. Right, if we don't have a good relationship with our food, with our bodies, that's really like ourselves. And this is the one body that we live in for our whole life. So it's really important. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us. It was great. My pleasure. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.